Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this show, I have two brand new movies to review for you. The third movie I'm going to review is one that came out months ago, technically in 2022, but it was released nationwide in 2023, but I didn't get a chance to review it until now, so I'm going to review that later. But the first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Hypnotic. This is the latest film from director Robert Rodriguez, who has brought us several films over the last 30 years or so, just to name a few of his best, uh, El Mariachi, Desperado, From Dust Till Dawn. And the last movie that I saw that was directed by Robert Rodriguez was the film We Can Be Heroes, which I saw on Netflix in 2020 when we were all in lockdown. The last movie I saw of his in theaters was Alita Battle Angel. And that movie cost $200 million to make, reportedly, which is probably more than all his other films combined. Or at least that's his most expensive film to date. And even though it was uncharacteristically expensive for Robert Rodriguez, who got his start directing a film for literally $28,000, which he scraped up and just made a movie out of, and ultimately that film did so amazing at Sundance that he became a household name as well as best friends with Quentin Tarantino. Well, anyway, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I respect Robert Rodriguez so much as a director and as a storyteller, but Hypnotic, a little bit of a spoiler alert, is not one of his best films. In fact, it may be one of his worst for a variety of reasons. But the premise of Hypnotic is about a detective with a chip on his shoulder who investigates a mystery involving his missing daughter and a secret government program. I'm going to try not to get into the nitty-gritty of the, the story at hand, but let's just say that it does involve hypnosis. And honestly, I expected the good kind of hypnosis where it caught my attention, but to be honest with you, very much like the sort of stage show hypnosis, I found as I was watching this film, my eyelids were getting very, very heavy. But that's not my only problem with the film. But let me start from the beginning. So Ben Affleck plays Danny Rourke, who is a police detective in Austin, Texas, And he had, as you find out in the very beginning of the film, a seven-year-old daughter by the name of Minnie who was abducted. And it's not clear in the beginning what happened to Minnie. She could have been killed after her abduction, but either way, she's missing and presumed dead, but not proven dead. But he goes about his business as a detective anyway, and he is investigating a series of bank robberies where the bank robbers rob a safety deposit box within various banks, and that's really about it. And he's on stakeout where he actually witnesses a bank robbery happening, but then some very bizarre things tend to happen at the bank. For example... There is one particular antagonist here who's played by William Fitchner, who's kind of the one of the go-to guys when it comes to playing either villains or antagonists. And he's not only very cool about robbing the bank, but he also 
has some mind control over some of the people in the bank, including the police officers with whom Danny Rourke works. And there are some bizarre things that happen with William Fitchner's character's mind control. And this leads Danny Rourke to investigate not only the motives behind the bank robberies and how these bank robbers rob a safety deposit box within one of these banks, but not the money that you would expect. And that delves into the hypnotic part of the film without giving too much away. So apparently hypnotics are powerful hypnotists who are trained by a secret government division to control people's minds. And Danny Rourke himself ultimately finds that his mind is being controlled as well. And while that sounds like a very intriguing plot, here there are a couple of reasons why the plot doesn't exactly work. First of all, the mind control element leads into this typical Hollywood plot of where nothing is as it seems, very similar to films like Total Recall or The Matrix, which makes the protagonist question what he's seeing and also what he thinks is real and what is not real. And as I said, we've seen that before in the films that I just mentioned. But on top of that, Ben Affleck himself almost phones it in in this movie, which is really too bad because Ben Affleck not only directed a really great film earlier this year, the film Air, which is not only in theaters, but it's also on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. My forgiveness for sounding like an advertisement, but it's true. It is a great movie and it is available on Amazon Prime if you want to watch it. But here, Ben Affleck just stays stoic throughout. And there are times where Really bizarre things happen. For example, when the police officers with whom he work gets get hypnotized, and there's one scene where the two of them pull guns on each other and shoot themselves, shoot each other right in front of Ben Affleck, and Ben Affleck doesn't really bat an eyelash. He just kind of almost looks like somebody urinated in his Cheerios at best. But he also doesn't react quite as strongly as you would expect if two police officers whom you know very well basically committed a packed suicide. And there are other scenes like that where bizarre things happen that would probably make other people of the similar mindset crack when they see them. But here in this film, Ben Affleck's just kind of going through the motions. And it's really too bad. But on top of that... The film gets really muddled and almost seems to take for granted the idea of reality not being what it seems. It gets very confusing towards the end, and also, I found myself not caring about any of the characters by the end of this film. Not about Ben Affleck's character, and not about William Fitchner's either. And it's really disappointing because Robert Rodriguez not only directed this film, but he also co-wrote this film along with Max Borenstein. And this film was not a major studio release. It was brought up by Ketchup Entertainment and Relatively Relativity Media. And I found myself very bored and also very skeptical of the fact that the people in this movie 
who were not hypnotized or who were not supposed to be hypnotized didn't quite act as emotionally as they should. And that's certainly true with Ben Affleck. And I said before that the movie Air that he directed and also in which he co-starred was an excellent film and one where Ben Affleck returned to form both as an actor where he didn't admittedly have a, a big enough part, but also as a director where he knows how to direct really good actors. And Robert Rodriguez can do the same, but his repertoire is a bit more hit or miss. And unfortunately, Hypnotic is miss, which leads me to give my rating of Hypnotic, give the movie Hypnotic my rating of a flunk out. It's a film that has somewhat impressive special effects, but compared to earlier films like Total Recall and The Matrix, ones where they're are really strange happenings occurring and reality and fantasy tend to blur on the lines. Hypnotic doesn't really add anything new to that genre in addition to just being muddled, very confused, and also very poorly acted, especially by Ben Affleck. And that's really a disappointment considering what Ben Affleck can do as a movie maker, let alone an actor. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The Mother. This is the latest starring Jennifer Lopez, and it is a Netflix original, which means you can only stream it on Netflix. And it premiered on Netflix on May 12th, 2023. This is a film that, frankly, I wasn't exactly looking forward to seeing. But then again, I wasn't exactly looking forward to seeing Hypnotic either. And... I was actually very pleasantly surprised by how good this movie was. A little bit of a spoiler alert there. But this film is directed by Nikki Caro, who has had extensive experience over the last 30 years directing, uh, especially films. She has previously directed amongst the films that um, are pretty well known. Whale Rider, which was nominated for a few Academy Awards. North Country, McFarland, USA. Uh, the live-action remake of Mulan, and of course this film, Mother, which is the first time she's working with Jennifer Lopez. And this movie is about an assassin who is played by uh, Jennifer Lopez, and Jennifer Lopez is only known as the mother. For her own protection, she is not exactly given a name to which we know exactly. But while fleeing from dangerous assailants, The mother comes out of hiding to protect her daughter she left earlier in life. And why did she leave her? Well, the movie is a little bit uh, complicated in describing how that uh, occurred. But when you watch the film, it makes sense. Coming from me, it doesn't quite make as much sense. But the mother is an unnamed U.S. operative who got her start working, or rather, in in battle in Iraq and Afghanistan before becoming an operative. 
and she forms a relationship with an ex-SAS Marine by the name of Adrian Lovell, who's played here by Joseph Fiennes, who we haven't seen in a really good movie in a while. Of course, he played William Shakespeare in Shakespeare in Love, but unlike his older brother Rafe, we haven't seen him in a lot of films, so it's a good return to form for Joseph Fiennes. But anyway, the mother forms a relationship with Adam, uh, excuse me, Adrian Lovell, and an arms dealer by the name of Hector Alvarez, who's played by Gael Garcia Bernal. And the two of them are in search of great fortunes. The mother brokers a deal between the two men in weapon smuggling, but after she becomes pregnant, with whom the movie never explains, but it could actually be revealed in a sequel, the mother discovers them to be involved with child trafficking. So she approaches the FBI to be an informant in exchange for protection. And she is in a safe house in the very beginning of the film where she's being interviewed by an agent by the name of Cruz, who's played by Omari Hardwick. And while she's being interviewed in this safe house, which is in suburban Indiana and looks like any other house, Adrian Lovell actually attacks the property in one of the probably hokiest parts of the of the film. What Adrian does without us actually seeing him is he basically shoots into the window and kills the FBI agents. And you would think that the FBI having a safe house would make this house that looks like any other on the street at least have bulletproof glass. Now, if this character Adrian Lovell had a bazooka and shot right into the house, that would be maybe not more realistic, but at least it would be maybe appropriate to the story, not to mention it would make a really great scene. But seeing Jennifer Lopez as the mother actually protect herself and her child while also fighting off the Marine Adrian Lovell is probably the part that makes up for the hokiness of the the scene that precedes it. And... The mother has to actually give up her child um, by orders of the uh, CIA because it's for her protection and the protection of her daughter. And it's explained very well by Edie Falco here, who makes an appearance, and she's given credit. It's not exactly a cameo, but it feels like a cameo. So the mother hides out in rural Alaska, while also not only still staying in shape and, and keeping on her toes, but also vicariously looking out for her daughter, who was in the foster program before getting adopted by a loving couple. But eventually she finds that the team behind her attempted assassination is also after her daughter as well. So she is both looking out for her daughter and she also takes her daughter under her wing in some of the best parts of this film. And I don't know how well a male director would have done, but a female director does very well with developing Jennifer Lopez's character without revealing her true identity. And as I said, her true identity may be revealed in a sequel, but that's probably a compliment to this film because the mother is actually so intriguing a story, not only in the action elements, but also in the story and character developing elements that I'd love to see a sequel to it. And Jennifer Lopez has been in action films before, 
but it's been a long time. Usually Jennifer Lopez's bread and butter has been romantic comedies, but since she's in her mid fifties, even though she looks amazing for a, for a woman in her mid fifties, eventually her status as the lead in a romantic comedy is going to be, is going to have an expiration date unless that romantic comedy takes place in a nursing home. And I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I'm just saying that's the way Hollywood is right now. But, you know, I think I could see Jennifer Lopez having a career in movies as long as Jane Fonda's is experiencing her career in movies right now. But again, I I think that Jennifer Lopez is expanding in a way that her husband, Ben Affleck, is evidently not in his film, Hypnotic. Plus, the scenes where Jennifer Lopez is not only holding her own fighting against uh, U.S. Marines, but also when she's in the woods with or without her daughter fighting game to eat. That is, those scenes were actually some of the best in the film. So The Mother is probably not going to make my list of the best films of the year, but I had relatively low expectations going into it with Jennifer Lopez in an action role, which I don't believe she's had since probably the film The Cell, which came out 23 years ago, but she more than held her own in this film. And also the actress who played her daughter, who's who in her uh, 12-year-old form is named Lucy Paez, and she plays uh, Zoe, who actually, unlike her biological mother, has uh, a name, uh, is very good in this movie, both when she's training alongside Jennifer Lopez and also when she really... She's in the Alaskan wilderness with her mother and wants to go home like you would imagine any 12-year-old who was born and raised in the suburbs would feel. So there was a lot that there were some things that didn't work in the mother, but there was a lot more that did work. And the credible anchoring performance by Jennifer Lopez is the thing that really sold this movie, which is why I give the mother my rating of a knockout. I thought it was a killer action film and also with a maternal perspective that you have seen in, in some other action movies, but those kinds of action movies are few and far between. And I think that Jennifer Lopez in both her acting, her character development, as well as her credible scenes in action really anchor this film very well. I thought Joseph Fiennes made a really good villain. He was not quite as developed here, but I thought the scenes when he's going after Jennifer Lopez and her daughter were among the the best in the film. And I think that a sequel could elaborate more upon her uh, Jennifer Lopez's character's background as well as an ever-developing relationship with her daughter. I think there's a lot of really welcome development that could take place in a sequel, and I'd love to see that sequel based on this movie itself. Well, 
Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is A Man Called Otto. And this is based on a book that's called A Man Called Ove, which was written by a Swedish author by the name of Frederick Bachman. They made a film out of A Man Called Ove in 2015 in Frederick Bachman's native Sweden. And that film starred Rolf Lasgard, Bahir Paz, and Philip Berg. In other words, names I don't really know how to pronounce because I've never taken a lesson in Swedish before in my life. But anyway, the reason that the name was changed to A Man Called Otto as opposed to A Man Called Ove is because I don't exactly know for sure, but I would presume that it wouldn't be credible for a man to be named Ove and maybe a little bit more credible for a man who lives in America to be named Otto. I I don't exactly know. But the original plot of the book and the 2015 movie is about a man named Ove who is an ill-tempered, isolated retiree who spends his days enforcing block association rules and visiting his wife's grave, uh, who is finally given up on life just as an unlikely friendship develops with his boisterous new neighbors. So... I have not read the book A Man Called Ove, and I haven't seen the 2015 film either. It was one of those films that came out when I was still hosting this show back in 2015, but I guess it was one of those films that either came and went in my local art house theater or I just didn't uh, get around to seeing it. Either that or it didn't come out at all. But regardless, I think that this movie, A Man Called Otto, pales a little bit in comparison because I would believe that somebody in Sweden would be particular about cars that don't have driving permits on a private road and maybe somebody in America maybe are a man having perhaps better things to do besides hassling anybody and everybody who doesn't have a permit or or so on. And also, maybe there's some credibility with Tom Hanks playing what the poster says is the grumpiest man in America. And I guess when we're in this day and age where Walter Matthau and Ed Asner are deceased and you couldn't get Clint Eastwood or someone else to play the grumpy old man, getting a credible actor who's known for being a nice guy to stretch his acting wings... (laughs) Might seem like the best option, but after seeing Tom Hanks miscast in two other films in 2022, Elvis and uh, the live-action remake of Disney's Pinocchio, I had my expectations relatively low that I would maybe buy Tom Hanks as a grumpy old man, and maybe that clouded my judgment of Tom Hanks in this film. But I, even with somebody who could probably play a more credible, grumpy old American man than Tom Hanks would, I sort of knew how this plot was going to go. You had boisterous, magnanimous neighbors in this film who had troubles of their own, but were also kind enough to reach out a helping hand to a grumpy neighbor magnanimously. And you kind of knew that beneath the rough exterior, this grumpy man of of the block would be... would open his heart ever so slightly and maybe give a little bit more of an inch, but not let people take a mile. And 
I think that Tom Hanks did serviceably in this movie. I don't think he was as miscast in this film as he was in Elvis or the live action Pinocchio, but I kind of knew how the story was going to go because this seems like one of Hollywood's seven plots, especially when they had movie cliches where he's visiting his wife at her grave and sitting down and talking to her at length and, and so on and so forth. But a man called Otto did have some good things to it. I, I can't say it's a film that I absolutely didn't enjoy, but the fact that it's a 2022 film that came out in theaters nationwide in early 2023, just in time for Oscar season, and it received absolutely no Oscar nominations whatsoever, may have contributed to my having relatively low expectations. But, you know, even though I knew how the story was going to go, and there wasn't a lot that surprised me, I still was kind of charmed by it, especially by the neighbors in this film, or at least one of the neighbors. There's uh, a native of Mexico whose name is Marisol, who's played by Mariana Trevino, who's married to uh, a schlub and also has two precocious uh, young uh, daughters uh, who are also very magnanimous to this old man, Otto. And eventually they, they find themselves, the, the family finds themselves relying on Tom Hanks's character to help them through situations, even though he is very begrudging in doing so. And y- you know he has a story. You know that he doesn't have children, and there's a reason for that. And you know there's a cataclysmic reason for that. And th- the movie does delve into the his past, although I I do think the frequent cutbacks to various times in his past didn't exactly work as well for establishing his character as they probably should have, even though Tom Hanks's younger self in this film is played by one of his sons, Lucas Hanks. And the Lucas Hanks, I think, did an okay job portraying his father, but not quite as well as probably another one of Tom Hanks's children who's a bit more experienced like in in acting like Colin Hanks probably would have. But the problem is that in these scenes, Tom Hanks's character is supposed to be in his early twenties, whereas Colin Hanks is in his early forties. But this, this film, a man called auto is a film that I liked. I didn't love it. I thought it was relatively predictable and When the climax happened at the very end of the film, it didn't surprise me too much, but it did touch me in a certain way that I didn't expect it to do. In other words, I can admit shedding a a few tears, but not enough to give A Man Called Otto a knockout. Instead, I'll give it a checkout because it is a charming movie in its respect, but I've seen Tom Hanks in better kind of like comedies, some over uh, some that are underrated, like The Terminal, which is not as appreciated a film in any respects or in many respects amongst a, a wide group of people as it should be. But A Man Called Odo, I thought, was a decent film. It's definitely touching the hearts of some other people, as it is, as of the date of the show, the number one most watched movie on Netflix this week as it appeared on Netflix for the first time on May 6th, 2023. But 
I thought that Tom Hanks actually could have been grumpier without being too cartoonishly Mr. Magoo-like grumpy, but at the same time, the story could have been a little less predictable. And even though I haven't seen the Swedish film A Man Called Ove or read the book, but I'll probably read the book first, I have the feeling that the story was more original than this Hollywood remake. And I'd actually like to see or read how it differentiates. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies that I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my final segment, or at least least the first part of my final segment, which is what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters and or on streaming for the week of May 15th through 19th, 2023. Now, this week of uh, May 15th through 19th, 2023, is the week before Memorial Day. So I don't anticipate, especially with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 still being in theaters and still kicking ass at the box office alongside the Super Mario Brothers movie, that there are going to be a ton of films that are going to break the box office. But there are some notable films that are going to be released in theaters and or on streaming. And I'm going to start with the films that are subject to being released in theaters and or on streaming for May 15th, 2023, which is a Monday. So this is un- these films are unlikely to be released in a multiplex near you, but they may be released in an art house theater near you. The first one is a movie that's called The Evil of Dracula. The movie stars Ellen Wing, Antonio Mayans, Miles John Dalton, and Nikolai Malden. If these names do not sound familiar to you, then that makes two of us, or however many of you are listening to this show. It's directed by Nikolai Malden and is probably either a low-budget film or a foreign film or a low-budget foreign film. The, the website I'm looking at does not give me a synopsis, but The Evil of Dracula is a film that I probably won't see, and it probably is going to pale at least in a publicity type of way to Renfield, which is another film about Dracula or at least about Dracula's assistant that I still have not seen, but I really, really want to. I just haven't seen it yet, but the evil of Dracula, if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on May 15th, 2023 is a movie that's called land of gold. And this is a film that is about a truck driver by the name of Kieran who hears pounding from inside his shipping container and finds Elena, a young Mexi- uh, a young Mexican-American girl. 
And when he finds Elena, his already tumultuous life takes a drastic turn as he seeks to reunite her with her family. The movie is directed by and written by Nardeep Kurmi, who is obviously of Indian or at least Southeast Asian descent. And the movie stars Karen David, Tina Parker, Dhruv Uday Singh, and Iqbal Theba, amongst other people. And this is a film that looks to be unlikely to be released in theaters near me. Actually, the uh, Kieran in this film is played by Nardeep Kermi, who also wrote and directed the film. It sounds like a, a very timely tale about a hot topic, but I don't know if this film is going to be coming out in a theater near me. If it doesn't, I see it. I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another film that is subject to being released in theaters on May 15th, 2023, is a movie that's called Pattern of Patterns of Evidence, excuse me, that's plural, Patterns of Evidence, Journey to Mount Sinai 2, which, as far as I know, is a documentary that is in limited release. There's no plot, but it is obviously a sequel, and the subject of the sequel is a man by the name of Emmanuel Anati. And so sometimes I get to see these one-time-only screenings at Fathom Events, and sometimes I don't. My guess is, because this is a sequel, this is one I probably will not see. So just getting it out there. On May 16th, 2023, which is a Tuesday, there's a film that is subject to being released that is called Assassin Club. And this movie stars Henry Golding. And this film is about an assassin who is given a contract to kill seven people around the world, I suppose one in each continent if he's going to visit Antarctica, Although I can't imagine there are is anyone in Antarctica you'd want to kill, but you never know how far someone would get away from the civilized world to avoid being killed. But anyway, this assassin is trying to kill these seven people only to discover the targets are also assassins who have been hired to kill him. I know, or at least I presume, there's been, there's been a movie about this before, but I don't know exactly what that movie is, or at least right off the top of my head. But the movie actually has a, a, an impressive cast of people. The movie stars Henry Golding, as I said. Also stars Sam Neill and Numi Rapace, amongst other people. So I don't know if this is a film that I will see, given that it's coming out in theaters or subject to come out in theaters on a Tuesday. But if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And there are two movies that are subject to being released in theaters on May 17th, 2023, which is a Tuesday. The first movie is what looks like a foreign film, and it's called Butterfly Vision. And Butterfly Vision is about a soldier by the name of Lilia, who is 29 years old, and returns home from the front line after being held captive for two months. But after she returns home, she discovers that she is pregnant after being raped by her warden. Ugh, that is a tough uh, situation to say the least. But will she manage to survive this trauma and save the child in a society that is not ready to accept either of them? Well, if she is in a society that will not accept her or her child, who was born through no fault of the mother's own, then I think it's time for her to get a new society. 
But that's how, that's one of the reasons I say that this film is probably a foreign film. The name of the director is Maxim Nakonechny, who is definitely foreign, at least in heritage. But I, I don't recognize the last name, or I can't exactly identify what nationality that is. I assume it is Eastern European, like Russian or Belarusian or Kosovoian. I don't exactly know. But if I see Butterfly Vision, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And there is another movie, which is a documentary, a concert documentary, that is subject to being released in theaters on May 17th and will probably be one of those films that if it's coming to a theater near you, it will probably be one of those one- or two-night-only films. But the movie is called Eric Clapton, Across 24 Nights. And it is about, it's not just an Eric Clapton concert, it's Eric Clapton's concert in, at Royal Albert Hall, which he performed in 1990 and 1991, where he was already a legend, but he was not quite solidified as a legend up to that point. But some of the uh, people who are joining him in this uh, concert include Albert Collins, Buddy Guy, and uh, Phil Collins, the latter of whom is not related to Albert Collins. But Phil Collins actually joins Eric Clapton on the drums here, which is pretty amazing. But Buddy Guy is here as a guitarist and on vocals. And Albert Collins, who, like Buddy Guy, is a legendary blues guitarist, is here as a guest performer. And also Robert Cray is or uh, joined Eric Clapton in this performance. And Eric Clapton's music is amazing, regardless of whether he was um, in the 60s, where he was probably on drugs, because most musicians were back then, especially the music that Eric Clapton did with Cream and with the Yardbirds. He was definitely under the influence. But even when he went sober and did more adult contemporary music in the 90s, it was still awesome especially his Unplugged album, which was one of the best Unplugged performances of the MTV show's history. But if I do see Eric Clapton across 24 nights, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Continuing with my segment, What's Coming Up Next, which is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters between May 15th and May 19th, 2023. The biggest movie to be released, which is probably definitely going to be released in theaters, on May 19th, 2023, is a movie that's called Fast X. This is the 10th Fast and the Furious films, and a number of people who have been in the previous Fast and Furious movies are going to be in this film, including but not limited to Vin Diesel, Jordana Brewster, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, and a couple of other new actors including Jason Momoa and John Cena, amongst other people. 
and also uh, Rita Moreno and Brie Larson and Charlie Theron. Yeah, so this movie has an all-star cast and shows that even though this is the 10th Fast and the Furious film in 23 years, or maybe 22 years because the first one came out in 2001, the franchise shows no signs of slowing down. But I'm not going to see this film. And the reason I'm not going to see this film is, first of all, I'm not interested. And secondly, I have not seen any of the Fast and Furious movies up to this point. Many other people have seen at least one, but I'm just not into them. I guess I have that presumption that it's just going to be about a car chase, which is what what all the other Fast and the Furious movies, I assume, probably were as well. If there's more depth to it, Maybe I'll give it a chance, but again, because of the 10th film in a franchise that I really haven't paid very much attention to, I will skip this one. But you're welcome to see it. It is probably going to be in theaters on May 19th, 2023. Another film that is subject to being released in theaters on May 19th, 2023 is a movie that's called Asterix and Obelix, The Middle Kingdom. Asterix and Obelix are cartoon characters that first made a name for themselves in comic strips that were popular in Europe, and eventually they became the subjects of animated films that were in limited release in the United States. But this is a film that is, that is made in France, and it is about Asterix and Obelix, who are um, rescuing the only daughter of the Chinese emperor Han Zandi, who escaped from a strict prince and seeks help from the Gauls, that's the uh, tribe of Asterix and Obelix, and the two brave warriors who I just mentioned. So this film looks like an action comedy as well as a goofy comedy that might be worth seeing for, uh, the, uh, for families. But will Americans get it? I think only if they are familiar with the characters. But there are some actors in the film who might be uh, pretty well known to Western audiences, including uh, Vincent Cassell, who plays Caesar, the Julius Caesar. You also have Marion Cotillard playing Cleopatra. Very interesting casting choice, but she is a world-famous actress. Uh, but I probably would have anticipated they'd have a woman of color playing Cleopatra, but regardless, Asterix and Obelix, the Middle Kingdom is a film that is likely to be released in theaters on May 19th here in the United States. I might see the film. I might not. I think this is actually the fifth live action film in the Asterix and Obelix franchise, which may mean I skip this one, but again, I'm putting it relatively low on my priority list. So moving on to the next film that is subject to being released in theaters on May 19th, 2023. And that film is a film called Sanctuary, which is a drama and a thriller, which is about a dominatrix and a guy by the name of Hal Um, who is her wealthy client, and the disaster that ensues when Hal tries to end their relationship. Interesting, because, yeah, he's a client, not a boyfriend or even a husband, and he obviously has a fetish. So the movie stars Christopher Abbott and Margaret Qualley, and IMDb is telling me that these two are the only people in the film. 
So this might be like a play where you only see a couple of people and maybe even just one setting, but it's interesting how a dominatrix would, well, ensue disaster or bring up, bring about uh, disaster and ambush when one of her clients ends their, maybe not relationship, but contractual obligations. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it sounds like an interesting film. I hope this is coming out in a theater near me because it definitely sounds very intriguing. Rest assured, I'm not into that kind of thing. If you are, that's fine. What you do on your own time is your business. But I'm, I'm intrigued that they actually played this for drama rather than laughs or ridicules. That's the reason I want to see it. In addition to maybe seeing some of that action as well, but you know, judge me if you want to, if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on May 19th is a film that's called master gardener. This has a lot of familiar names in it, including Joel Edgerton and Sigourney Weaver. And this film is about a meticulous horticulturist who is devoted to tending the grounds of a beautiful estate and pandering to his employer, the wealthy dowager. So it would make sense that Joel Edgerton is the horticulturist here, and he stars along with Sigourney Weaver, Contessa Swindell, and Eduardo Lawson. I'm pretty sure I pronounced those names correctly. It sounds like a very intriguing story, but definitely not one that has as much action as Succession with the dominatrix and everything. But this is a film that is likely to be released in theaters that are independent as opposed to the multiplex because the writer and director of this film is Paul Schrader. And for those of you who don't know, Paul Schrader has been in the movie business for over 40 years, going on 50 years, actually. He's best known for having written the screenplay to such Martin Scorsese classics as Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and The Last Temptation of Christ. As a director, he's made some films that have been very good, others that have sort of fallen short. The last film that I saw by him was a film that was called First Reformed, which starred Ethan Hawke, Amanda Seyfried, and Cedric the Entertainer. And that film I thought was excellent. I consider that one of the best films of 2017. And he also directed some other films that I really liked, including Autofocus, which was a very well-made film, but it's not for everyone. He also directed such controversial films as uh, Hardcore, which starred George C. Scott, American Gigolo, starring Richard Gere, and Cat People, starring Natasha Kinski. Forgive me for mispronouncing that name. So, Master Gardener has a theme that is somewhat familiar in Paul Schrader films, either ones that he's directed or he has written. And if I see that film, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on May 19th is a film that's called Come Out Fighting. And this film looks like one that will likely be released on streaming as opposed to in theaters, or at least in theaters nationwide. But this is a film that is set during World War II. And in this military adventure thriller, a small and a specialized squad of U.S. Army, U.S. soldiers 
and African-American soldiers are sent on an unofficial rescue mission behind enemy lines to locate their missing commanding officer. And I could go on, but how these war movies go where a platoon is sent out to find an officer, at least I know a lot of things are going to go wrong because A, it's a war movie, and B, I've seen this plot so many times. But this movie does have a pretty impressive cast. The movie stars Dolph Lundgren, Michael Jai White, and Tyrese Gibson, amongst other people. So it may not be historically accurate in the sense that it it seems like the U.S. soldiers are being integrated, where platoons weren't integrated until after the Korean War. But these are uh, stories that some war movies run with, even though they're not historically accurate. Doesn't mean that they don't make great movies, just ones that if you try to copy them and pass them off as fact for your U.S. history paper, you will probably get an F. But anyway, Come Out Fighting might actually do some good business considering that Dolph Lundgren made the news recently for battling cancer, uh, which he's been battling for the last eight years. And it's, it's really awful to hear that Dolph Lundgren has been undergoing cancer treatment. Of course, I wouldn't wish cancer on my worst enemy probably, but even still, I hope Dolph Lundgren, I wish Dolph Lundgren a speedy and successful recovery, um, if that is at all possible. But Come Out Fighting is a film that I might see. If I do see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. And the last film that I will detail for you in the segment is a film that's called It's Quieter in the Twilight. It's a great title, and interestingly enough, this is a documentary. And I'm a little disappointed because a a name like that, It's Quieter in the Twilight, is a film that if you, unless you mistake it for being based on a book and based on characters written by Stephanie Meyer, it sounds like a very intriguing fiction film, but it may be an intriguing documentary as well. But in an unremarkable office space, a select group of aging engineers find themselves at the leading edge of discovery. Fighting outdated technology and time, Voyager's flight team pursues humankind's greatest exploration. Uh, Okay, I'm very intrigued. I'm not exactly sure where the remarkable office space is, but my guess is it's probably not NASA. And if it is, if it was, they would probably mention that in this synopsis that I just read, but maybe it is NASA. I don't know. But It's Quieter in the Twilight is a film that is likely to be released in theaters, but probably not likely to be released in theaters nationwide. But it may get a streaming release. If it does, and I see it, I'll let you know what I think on a future show. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.